Yo, what's up? It's Demystifying MTB. We talked with Rory Bingham today from Onward MTB. He's a coach down in Queenstown, New Zealand, and he had some really cool things to talk to us about, not only breaking, but breaking in suspension and also breaking zones. He has some data from how he coached a rider to shorten up their breaking zones and ride faster overall. And he has a simple takeaway for you to shorten up your breaking zones too. So let's dig into it. Enjoy. Rory, good day. We Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Usually, we've tried this, like doing starting it different ways, like doing an intro, not doing an intro. Today, what like what we wanted to kind of talk about is dig into a bit of mostly like breaking zones, I guess. Talk about breaking zones and like what they mean to you and how you work on that with riders. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, though, how'd you get into this whole coaching thing? And tell us a little bit about yourself. Um. Yeah. So, I I moved to New Zealand in two thousand seven with. With my family and spent about 10 years in Auckland. I uh, finished up school, did some studying, um, studied property management, was a property manager for a few years and then yeah just got a bit disillusioned with the rat race and I've always ridden mountain bikes and it's always been my passion and I guess I just came up with a bit of a strategy on how I can get paid to ride bikes <laughs> um and so a dream I, man yeah man so i think i've a bunch of my family members have come from like a teaching background so it's always been like a part of our family and i wanted to pack in the rat race get out of the big smoke and headed over to to whistler and did like a five-week instructor camp over there with a company called zap which was like just a great head start into to coaching and got a few qualifications over there. Um, came back to New Zealand and then first stop was Queenstown, which is where I still am. Um, I love it down here. Like the riding's just every year it just turns up to another level, which is which is sick to be around. And like the community and the scene is, yeah, every year it just gets better and better um did a few seasons back and forth to to canada um working for whistler blackcomb and and zep um over on whistler whistler mountain there and then came back to new zealand again started working for for a company down here which was always kind of like more on the guiding side of things but i still had that kind of coaching itch um and just just post-COVID, decided to start my own business down here, um, just solely focusing on coaching and being able to cater to, to every level of rider from beginner to expert. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a bit of the background. Been going now with Onward, Onward's my company. Um, for This is our second season now, and we've made a lot of big changes for this season, and it's been, it's been mega. Um, been really enjoying it. Do you ever feel like you're living the dream? Like, do you, do you have to like pinch yourself? Because we do that all the time. We're like, you know what? This is sick. We get to wake up every day and work on this dope technology, mm-hmm. even though like it's hard and like some days are terrible. Some days are really hard. Yeah. And, but like you were literally saying that this morning you did a coaching session. Here you are doing a podcast on mountain biking. Does it yeah. feel like the dream? Or do you have to still remind yourself? I think sometimes I like think back. I think I was in like my living room in 2016 like fed up i think i just got back from like a really shitty day at the office and i was like what do i want to do in the next five years and i think if i compare where i'm at now to what i envisage i'd say i'd say i'm in a pretty happy place um if not better than what i'd imagine so in that 2016 moment of just like i need to escape the rat race did you even have a dream of yeah, coaching mountain biking in Queenstown. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely like coaching, like that's where I wanted to go. But what brought me to Queenstown was I had done a few holidays here before, had a bit of a taste of the riding. Um, back then, I was a bit younger and I was probably allured more to the to the lifestyle and all the fun times you can have here off the bike. Um, and yeah, in terms of like having my own business and and being able to to help riders like progress 
from wherever they're at to, to the next level is, yeah, it's super cool. Great. And now you've got Onward. What would you say is, is the purpose of your business? So you started it up post-COVID, wanting to do your own thing. Did you have a, a goal for the business? Um, my goal was just to do one thing and do it, do it as best as I can. Um, and that's, that's coaching. It's skills-based coaching. So wherever, wherever you're at with the bike, you know, whether it's your first time picking up a mountain bike or whether you're a World Cup athlete, um, I wanted to be able to offer something for everyone. Um, I'm super fortunate because, well, I don't know if fortunate is the right word, but I do a lot of my riding with really good riders and it's super fun. And the changes that you can see in people's riding, um, even after like two or three sessions is, is awesome. Would you say that even at a like top level rider, you can see changes in their riding when, when you do coaching with them? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I almost think like if your beginning skill set is, you know, at an expert level, if you then try and massage and tweak that skill set, like the the ability of the rider to make changes or make meaningful changes is, is a little bit easier because they've got almost less to focus on. You can just focus on one thing and the rest of their riding is so high level um, that, yeah, you can definitely see change and whether that's through what you see as the coach or whether that's something you measure like time or braking or uh, bike performance like yeah it's awesome yeah i think that i would say the the mental side of not having to worry about surviving is a nice addition to have yeah for sure i think i do most of my work in the bike park here in queenstown and it's steep like you guys have both ridden here. Mm. Yeah, um, it's great. <laughs> it's a super fun park, but it can be like it's. I think in the next few years, it's really going to take off as like the the hub for athletes to come and train in the off season, just because of the the caliber of riding that you can do here is just it's off the charts. It's it's steep. It's it's um it's relevant to the type of riding that they're going to be doing on track um but on the flip side like if you are just picking up that mountain bike for the first time it can be a little bit of an intimidating place to start so if i'm here to to help all of those people get more enjoyment out of their bike then that's that's ultimately the goal so what would you say is the biggest challenge you're trying to teach in the bike park you say the caliber of riding's fantastic because you are in the bike park What's your yeah. biggest challenge? Um, I think if you if you worked as a coach, well, from my experience, like working in Whistler, like the the layout of trails and the way the trails have been made, the the smoothness of the sort of progression curve is like up there with the best. It's just amazing, you know. Every um, section or every feature is just like that little bit more than the last one and the trail gradings are like you know you know where you stand basically queenstown <laughs> there's there's definitely quite a lumpy progression curve um even right from like the green trail uh hammies is like it's flat out like you can pick up so much speed so i really think you need to have the right approach and spend enough time in Queenstown on the the easier grade of tracks, which, like, in my opinion, aren't necessarily like easy tracks. Um, allow yourself the time and space to progress there and dial in the techniques. And the biggest challenge I find is that people just rocket their way through this this trail gradings. Um, matrix that we've got and all of a sudden they're on like single black trails but i'm like super steep and yeah you've almost got to get them to come back a little bit and recognize that one step back is you know a bunch of steps forward yeah we see that in rotorua all the time because it's pretty like you go from grade three to grade four and suddenly someone can't ride that grade four or something even though they're super comfortable in a grade three and i yeah. think a lot of people just blast through and they ride all this super steep stuff 
and they just reinforce bad habits. And like, I'm not yeah. going to go ride those easy trails they are too easy. Like, well, they're not easy. You just, you just go faster. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Like don't always reach for the terrain dial, like maybe reach for the technique dial, like maybe just try something more or try it less or, you know, be a little bit more purposeful with how you approach those so-called easy trails and you can get a lot of skill development. Yeah, nice. Yeah, especially somewhere like Queenstown, which is pretty much straight down the mountain, whichever way you go. Like Hemi's does a loop around, but it doesn't go that much further than the trails that literally just point straight down. But fine, like that no. comment you make, like Whistler, I would say even the advanced technical trails, the trails do a lot of the work for you. And Queenstown, it's not the same. Especially, I can think of a few trails where you're riding down them and you've got no idea where you're going. It just doesn't have that thick forest to guide you down the trail. It's just a maze of roots and trees and big holes. And so mm. trying to get down a trail, everyone, like go 10 people and every person will ride a different line down the mountain. Yeah, 100%. And I, with the parks is a bunch of changes every year, like... Um, there'll be new sections that are cut in. There'll be less so like new tracks open up, but they'll you'll usually like rejig quite a few of the tracks. And yeah, those first laps of the season, you're just like, oh my goodness! Like I thought I knew this trail from last season, and it's all completely new. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely a lot to deal with. Not to like scare people off riding down here. It's it's super fun, but um, yeah. The right approach a, a considered approach and and don't don't rush your way through it like there's a lot of really good riding to be had if you just you know be a little bit patient with how you approach the trails yeah nice well, you know we've been watching your instagram i guess that's is that where everyone gets their info these days i don't know as always in the bike world it seems like a nice place to go for info but we've been watching kind of the stuff that you've been doing and obviously we've we, th we consider you like an early adopter of a lot of these technologies. Obviously, Breakace is one of them, but you also use things like the Freelap system, I'm pretty sure, which is like a timing system. And you've also been using the BYB telemetry data logger to do some suspension stuff. What made you, mm -hmm. like, you are an early adopter. Like, you're early into a lot of these things because I would say they haven't taken taken hold mainstream yet in mountain biking. Obviously, that's what that's what we believe in here as well. But what made you kind of want to go down that route to just kind of supplement your coaching and like help you to coach? Um, I think it's really just being able to have metrics to work with to be able to truly analyze performance. Um, I guess in last season I did did some coaching with some really, really good riders and I guess for me, I've always been like very in tune with how my bike feels. I'm very sensitive to changes in my bike and, uh, you know, rotor sizes, brake pad compounds, you know, like it, um, I, I really am quite sensitive to that stuff. And then I'd be riding with people and I'd ask them questions like, you know, how does your bike feel? Does it feel like you've got enough grip through the back end of the bike or do you feel like you're stable and and the, the answer is usually just a shrug of the shoulders and being like i don't know <laughs> yeah. um and as much as i try to guide people through that um i just don't think that some people have that same level of sensitivity and whether that comes because you know that's just not them and they they don't care um that's fine but like when you're riding at such a high level i think there needs to be quite a lot of those performance factors like tidied up and and actually verified as being something that is not limiting their performance so bike setup was the first sort of thing that that um jogged my mind to get into this sort of performance metrics and i've i've worked in the past as a suspension tech and uh i saw these telemetry kits i'd seen them in the past and thought they were pretty cool but always thought that was like you know unreachable for someone that's not on a world cup team but now like there's so many good products available um that are relatively i wouldn't say they're easy to interpret but if you spend enough time like figuring it out you can get there 
Um, and yeah, I just wanted to be able to to verify and like actually make sure that things were where they should be. Um, and then Breakace, of course, came along, and that's been like, yeah, had some really good Breakace sessions. Um, I think because of Queenstown's like unique challenges, um, it can be quite like people's breaking habits can be extremely difficult to see as the coach like if you're following someone or you're watching them ride past you like someone will tell you what they think they've done with their breaks but as we probably all know that <laughs> yes. that's, that's quite far from the truth yeah, um, yeah. definitely tell you again that. the same motive was just like I, I actually want to be able to see what's going on here so that you know i'm not solely reliant on pretty vague and like often inaccurate rider feedback um so yeah it's all about just taking measurements and and that way you can form a solid baseline do some coaching work on some stuff and then revisit it and then you can you can see whether you've gone hopefully you've gone forwards hopefully you've gone forwards a lot um <laughs> or yeah just let you know where you stand yeah I, I actually took some screenshots from your instagram of the stats that you shared uh helping a rider improve i want to kind of yeah. dig into those because that is a those were huge differences that you guys found doing some yeah. run yeah but i just wanted trials yeah i just wanted to give you let you know something though rory i didn't i don't think i told even Rowan this but the first time i heard about the two one none breaking method was from you mm -hmm. and you had sent an email like oh it was good to see that i was doing the two one none method like i thought so it was like a positive reinforcement to you and so i actually yeah. asked rowan i was like what's this two one none thing and i can't remember if that's what you called it or that's just what i how i interpreted it but then rowan we kind of talked about two one none i was like oh that's actually pretty cool and i started trying it and doing it did we did a podcast about it did some some other content about it too and it's like it's a pretty neat technique but the, the first time I heard about it was from some emails from you and um, you looking at your data for the first time, which was quite cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a good, I, I often just to, to, um, uh, to avoid any confusion, sometimes I, I refer to it as like both back none. Um, just oh, yeah. to, yep. to put yeah. some more, some different labels on it. Um, and that that in turn I, I got from another coach paul paul howard um who's who's basically been like a pretty awesome mentor for me along along my career um also the guy yeah, who gave me my first mountain bike certification many there we go. many years ago yeah you know what's it's funny i try and scour the internet for some of these techniques that i hear people talking about and there's not like is there a place on the internet where you can find all of these different techniques or are they just like handed down through word of mouth like legend kind of thing <laughs> yeah i think I the know, legend yeah, I really is it <laughs> i know going I to like coaching certification clinic courses with people and a lot of people are like oh but i just wanted to learn like what techniques to teach and i think it really is a personal thing it's how how do you communicate with different levels of rider in different ways that works for you as a coach yeah yeah i think like in my coaching career i've always been very fortunate to have been surrounded by some pretty high level very experienced coaches that have basically been the ones behind the sort of rule books behind these well not rule books but call it um you know reference guides of, of how we teach mountain biking and through my time around those people i've been yeah fortunate to be sort of part of this legend and it's usually like the small little things that you know like the, the comments between sentences that i don't know it's just always these little golden nuggets floating around and yeah if you latch onto one um it can really help your own writing but yeah that that both both back none technique is is something I, I use quite a lot in my own coaching um i think there's a lot of confusion as to like everyone always hears like oh no you're not allowed to break in a turn and it's like well <laughs> if you take a turn that starts like you know 10 meters higher than the the exit of the turn like you're going to pick up a lot of speed because <laughs> mm -hmm. you're going yeah. downhill quite yeah. fast um so just having that little safety blanket at the back brake is quite nice just to stop yourself from speeding up too much 
even just rolling yeah. through a turn like that from a stop, you'd pick up so much speed that you'd end up having to break. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing I we think... get a lot with break aces, people saying, yeah, but I already know I should break less. Like, no, we're not talking about breaking less. Like, if you yeah. understand how and why you're breaking and yeah. the how does come from the why, then you can break much more efficiently, effectively, and there's everything yeah. else, all the other skills grow from that. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know, I mean, what's your two opinion on, I mean, breaking habits, I always think like, particularly riders that might have been riding for a certain number of years, like they're just quite set in their ways. I mean, I feel like breaking habits are one of the, the most difficult things to actually break and then build back up just because of this very robust psychological subconscious connection between brain and fingertips. Um, it takes it takes a bit of time, right? Especially where you're riding down a trail that could kill you. Yeah, the, the subconscious <laughs> definitely has to play a part. Your comment. I'm going to respond back with a question. With you, okay, early adopter of this technology. So yeah, break case breaking the you know, suspension data acquisition systems, even just like cadence and you know just knowing what you're doing. As a coach, that's also like you've done the suspension tech, technical, like understanding of a bike is there. You want to know how the riders are feeling and what they're doing. But have you seen, if you had to pick one, would you say the biggest benefit of having all of this data is you being able to see what the person you're coaching is doing or the person you're coaching being able to see what they're doing? Um, I think you've got to have both like you can't just be the guy on the sidelines just calling the shots and being like now nah, your fork's too soft or, or whatever like the rider should be involved in that process as much as possible and and that's kind of part of the problem that i was facing was that the rider was unaware of how they were feeling and and then i couldn't establish a baseline as to what was actually happening so in terms of making changes, it was very difficult to know what direction to move in because you don't know where you're starting from. Um, and then as part of that process, as you do go through those changes, whether it's with the bike, whether it's braking, whatever, um, I don't I don't want to be that guy just like, oh, I'm doing, you know, just tinkering away with someone's bike and being silent. Like it's all about a learning process and educating the rider on what you're doing, why you're doing it, and then set them up for success in terms of being able to notice these sensations so i like to just be quite specific say with bike setup stuff is instead of just the rider getting to the bottom being like how did it feel um <laughs> i had fun before, yeah. they, <laughs> before they go riding or I'll, I'll ask them to look out for like you know how does the bike release from corners or, or how stable does the bike feel heading into corners or, or something relatively specific um, so that I can get more specific feedback on, on what the bike's doing. And, and then as part of that process, the rider should be able to feel more what's going on. I don't know, does that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, that's an awesome answer. That, that specificity is like, you can have common language and describe something, but it doesn't mean a common understanding. So having, having that common language to be able to work together with someone is about having actual shared understanding. And so, yeah, by yeah. breaking it down to something more specific, like, well, how, instead of just, did that feel good? It's how did it feel like as you landed a drop? How does it feel coming out of corners? How did it feel as you entered, you know, a rough section, like something specific? And so obviously data is that. And I'm sure you'd agree, Matt, coming from, like, if you think of fitness training, if you tell someone to go and do intervals without a power meter, you can say, do, let's say, do an easy, a medium and a hard sprint. And you throw a power meter into it where you can look mid sprint, how hard am I pushing? It totally changes that ability for both sides of the conversation to understand. Yes, oh, yeah. I was pushing hard. Yeah. And so Absolutely. bikes up, same thing. And so with power meters, it's like, bro, were you going hard? like yeah i was going all out i was like oh but i didn't mean that hard you know <laughs> not that hard <laughs> so like 
being able to be on the same page like okay we'll do it at a thousand watts for 10 seconds done like can you do that and then it's all right there for everyone to review and i think Roy, it's it's interesting what you said because i think it has it's it's an easier way to build trust with someone because if you're just kind of if they need to just trust you and take your word for it without any sort of verification that they can see other than trusting you it's really hard to get buy-in but if you can be like well yeah this is this is what it says why don't we try this you instantly have like two different points to gain trust with and they can see it you can see it, and you're all on the same page and i think it kind of streamlines your way to trust whereas otherwise it takes a very very long time to do that yeah for sure and yeah, these tools that that we now have available as coaches just you you can't argue with data. Like the data is what it is. Um, there can be different like sensations around the data. You know, like there's still always a level of interpretation that needs yeah. to happen. Um, but definitely, if you've got that trusting relationship, like you can make some some really effective changes like a lot quicker than you could without that. Yeah, like that reminds me of being out teaching a group of teenage enduro races and talking about yeah breaking hard before a corner and we we're out at this flat corner horrible no one enjoyed it but i was like this is where you can make up a whole lot of time like break hard before the corner and then just drag your brakes enough to be able to commit like once you're confident push hard get off the brakes and they were trying, they were trying. It was like, no, break harder. Just like, just break as hard as you can. And none of them wanted to do it. And so there was one of the dads that had joined in. I was like, okay, I'll get one of the guys, which of the kids that everyone knew was a pretty fast rider and his dad. And I was like, go and do it. And they all stood on the side of the trail and just watching this fast guy come in and then exit by pedaling super hard and barely moving because he basically had to break twice. And the dad came in, got hard on the brakes, got inside the corner and just cruised through it. And they came back and the guy was like, ah, oh, like the dad was sorry, like I could have done that better. And all of the other teenage kids were just going, what? Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> like having that, that visual proof. But yeah, if you had just the brake ace and a free lap timing system that lets you get right down to the milliseconds, you could see that straight away and you could show someone like you didn't feel good but look how much faster you got through this because we don't always yeah. have a team of people to show us demos yeah for sure and like i think ultimately all of these new technologies just help add so much value to what you're doing um and help you cater like particularly for me like working with some some athletes and some really really good riders that if you've got this metric to go by to give you a little bit of insight to to help things progress like the the added value is is there because i know there's the, like with when you're at that level of riding and you like you're a good rider and maybe you're riding like you know double black trails down here and you know you feel good enough going on them but you're wanting more performance out of your riding like there's not a lot out there for those people in terms of coaches or tools that they can use so that was kind of a big driver behind getting on board with all this stuff was being able to really effectively cater to that level of rider to find the time that you know they never knew was there and oftentimes it just takes a more measured approach like with these data logging tools that you can get there so much quicker rather than just sort of beating around the bush and never really getting anywhere nice yeah, there's it, only so much strava recording you can do that gets you better yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> if, if we dig into one of the sessions that you did if you don't mind i'll just kind of rattle off some stats from that one that you shared on instagram does that sound good absolutely yeah please do you did it looks like you did a couple laps and some of the overall stats that you shared so you did two tracks multiple times and on track one, dropped uh, 0.7 seconds uh, on the average break event time. Uh, you went up in brake power, down 13.85 seconds using the rear brake, and plus 17 seconds using a front brake, which changed the brake balance closer to 50-50, which is sweet. And then you had really similar results uh, on the second track, 
minus 0.7 seconds average break event, plus 390 watts average power, uh, minus 11 sec on, seconds on the back break, plus 8 seconds on the front, and again, closer to 50-50. That's pretty sweet. Pretty good stats, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then you kind of, what, what does it mean? And these, these are the things that you said. The takeaways were less brake dragging for no good reason, more braking power in more effective zones, which is kind of what had me thinking, you know, let's talk about braking zones eventually. Uh, less time on the rear brake, so your bike was tracking better, less influence on the suspension. More time on the front brake equals more confidence in using it for speed control and a huge improvement in brake balance, and that all equals track speed. That's pretty awesome. Can you kind of like give us some insights on what you did with the rider to get to that point? Um, yeah, so... He was uh, he was a, a very good rider. Like he had a good skill set um, over here from Australia, um, and his whole family was like big racing family. Like they they've done a lot of racing in their time, and and all of the he was the youngest in the family, and they were they were all riding at a really good level, and they they showed some interest in the brake ace system. So, so yeah, let's get it on. So I like to basically put it on their bike. And get them to ride at least two laps and I, I don't say anything other than what track i want them to ride because i want to establish the truest baseline that i can um without any sort of like mind like the rider's mind being contaminated so to say it's just where they're at um and then i like to like spend a little bit of time just looking at the data and and what comes up and on that session um from so that there's always that context so that the track was a mix the upper section of the first track is, is reasonably steep there's two kind of main shoots on it and then between that it's all kind of like traversy and there's not many features or obstacles it's more just like carrying speed through sections there's a few corners to deal with and stuff like that but the main things i noticed were his the number of long events um and the the average break time was reasonably high for what that track um ideally probably wants so the first thing we did was just take a look at some of the braking zones on the track of what um the key opportunities in those areas that came up and then just had a bit of a little scouting lap of you know this braking zone is going to be a little bit more effective so that you could carry speed down there or so that you could be off the brakes down there. And then really focused on a, a more stabby approach to the brakes. So only braking for as long as you need to when you need to and bringing a lot more of the front brake into the mix. Um, then we spent a bit of time talking about that front brake and, and kind of how we bring it into the mix and, and where it's going to work best on track. Um, because I often find, I don't know, I'll be uh, open to a bit of a chat about this with you two, but I mean, 50-50 for me, like ideal world, maybe, but sometimes I find that the tracks we have here in Queenstown, they're so rough, they're so steep, they've got so many corners in them. There are like often not, not huge opportunities to get a lot of effective front braking done because you don't want to upset the front of the bike too much. Like the, you want to be able to carry traction on that front wheel so that you've got a lot of confidence in where you're placing it. Um, so I, I, I don't ask the rider to look for 50-50. I'd rather just work on the technique side of things and, and see what happens. And, and, and it just so happened that he was really, really good at making changes and listening <laughs> and just absolutely nailed it. Yeah, I, I would agree on the front brake thing. I think there's some tracks where aiming for 50-50 is going to do you more harm than good. But if what you're doing is looking for effective braking in really specific braking zones and you need to slow down fast, well, the front brake's the only way to do that. You need a lot of front brake if you want to slow down really quickly. But also aiming for 50-50 as like the the optimum is maybe not the right approach because there might be times where you're just trying to simply control speed and that's done with the back brake. Mm. Yeah, because I'd say it's 
over a whole trail, it's good to have an average to just sort of see how was I riding. But in terms of looking at what to improve, you need to break it down to the section of the trail that you're thinking about, that you know if you are specifically trying to hit hard braking zones and you're not approaching 50-50 or more on the front, then you can improve that. But in general, down a, a larger section of trail, you do what works. Yeah, and I think, like, for me, the, the effect of that front brake is it's, it's going to upset the front of the bike because uh, particularly when you're in, like, a turn or riding over rough stuff. So I try to, in the braking zones where I'm asking riders to, to, to look at places where they can brake more, particularly that front brake, is to try and identify sections on the track that are straighter and smoother so that you allow that front brake the best conditions to to work as well as it can are those the kind of things that you're looking for when you think about braking zones are you looking for smoother straighter yeah tighter kind of thing what what's a good braking zone for you so i mean it always depends on the track like, yeah, yeah yeah of course <laughs> um yeah, I think those two like guiding principles I like. Um, smoother, so like you're not trying to get the bike to slow down over like really, really chunky um, terrain. Like the bike is always going to be hindered if you're like the function of the bike, the suspension movement is going to be hindered if it's having to deal with all these braking forces going through the bike. And then also the rider's got to deal with those as well. So braking inputs plus really heavy chunky track equals quite an unstable rider so often these smoother zones are you know six inches to the left or right of the main line and not necessarily you know you've got to like widen your lens a little bit to, to search out those zones or, or they might be you know before that chunky section or after that chunky section um and then in terms of like the straightness it yeah, it really comes down to not doing too much of your heavy braking when the when the bike is lent over or it's having to try and turn, um, particularly that front brake because the front brake is going to want to push the rider sort of forward and then the rider's got to deal with that force and then that's going to affect their turning movements into the bike um, and it doesn't really lead very well to, to nice consistent pressure going through that front tyre. Um, which is then going to lead to, you know, inconsistent grip. Um, I was listening to something recently, and they're saying, you know, tires aren't really designed to multitask very well. <laughs> like if they want to turn, they're happy turning. But as soon as you ask it to turn and brake at the same time and try and deal with those two forces together, like it's you're just not going to get the best out of them. Yeah, and it's interesting you say like oh yeah look for like smooth and straight and like that's the total opposite from what you want a mountain bike trail to be you know even a yeah. nice flow trail you're just hoping for linked together corners and berms and jumps and drops and just things happening and so yeah saying smooth and straight is well that's up to you as the rider to identify it's not the trail yeah being built yeah. in a way to have braking zones because if it is, that's where all the brake bumps appear. And so yeah. you lose that smoothness. And so, yeah, potentially, you know, just over a bike length of space is an amazing braking zone. Yeah, that's the thing. Like these braking zones might be, yeah, one bike length long that you can, or one or two, three bike lengths long. Like they might be quite, quite small. Um, and you're going to have to, change that braking approach of if you're taking a section of say a rougher section rather than just i think honestly like a lot of it comes down to either i would say for myself when i'm braking like this it's just because i'm being lazy dragging brake through the whole mm. section yeah and um trying to to be a little bit more purposeful and deliberate about how you're using those brakes so that you can more effectively target zones to do more of your braking and then target zones to do less of your braking. Um, yeah. One of the big things that came out of that session, which kind of I um, I learned a little bit from that session, and that was like 
outside of that breaking zone, if you're consciously trying to eliminate those areas of breaking where you're kind of comfort breaking, you're not breaking for any good reason, you're going to have to be mentally and physically prepared to go a bunch faster through that section. And riders who have got like a good skill set and they're, they're there, they can handle that, they can cope with that pace outside of the braking zones. Um, I tend to see much better results from in terms of the numbers um, because it, all of a sudden you're flying, whereas previously you were just dragging your brake. Um, so that's quite a big factor, I find. So do you mean more like confidence thing for the rider that like they, they need to be ready to like, okay, you, if we can do this, you're going to be going a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the, the more confident they are to be off the brakes or brake less, the more success they'll have at improving their track speed. Um, and it's if, easier to sort of have the positive thinking in that way rather than the negative thinking. So it's if someone doesn't have the the skill set to really allow that, then you're starting to think about, uh, okay, stay off the brakes so I can go faster. But someone with more of the skill set is thinking, I'm going to hit this corner this way, and then I'm going to hit the brakes there, or I'm going to go over this section and unweight over that rough bit. Like it's about what you're doing. So you've got that yeah. willingness to go faster because you're identifying what you're going to do rather than... I'm just letting off the brakes and seeing what happens. Yeah, for sure. Like you change one thing, like you're braking, and that's going to require X, Y, Z to happen as well as that, which is what this brake haste thing is. You know how you said earlier about, you know, it's just about braking less. It's like, that's no, not like there's a whole lot more that needs to go on around yeah, braking. I like um, that you said, like, just of being lazy, like when you're riding. Like if you're not actively oh. thinking about it, because that why, yeah. why am I breaking? And I was like, well, it's the easy option. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's not dragging your rear brake. So what might be the best thing to do? But if you're not doing it for any specific reason that's advantageous, then now you can see that with the data. And it's like, well, why was I breaking there? I didn't think I even was breaking there. Yeah. And I go, well, okay, in that case, let's have a look at that section of trail or let's just go back and ride and not do that. And maybe it's, you want to not break at all. Maybe it's you deliberately want to break more, but yeah, the very, the thing to change is why, once you understand why you understand what, so yeah, now you can yeah. get into your own head and the head of someone else. If you're trying to give them some guidance. Yeah. Yeah. So I think breaking zones, like it's very easy to identify places to break more but there's also other things that need to happen for where you're breaking less um one thing i like to do with riders just to try and identify like you know more healthy braking zones more on like a flow track is just ask them to limit how many times they can break so if you say ride down this track you can only break 10 times you know, it's just a challenge like don't just go down with the ship once you've <laughs> used up all your braking <laughs> events yeah. Um, That's a much smarter way to ride than I tried last night because I was like, I'm just going to ride this trail brakeless. I was careening off through the trees. I should have given myself like a three brake limit. Yeah. But like when you give them that sort of opportunity to, to brake, like it's, they're going to be braking in probably better areas because they know that the speed they're coming into that corner is way too hot. So oh, I should probably do some braking before that corner. And if, as the coach, if you can see them in front of you and perhaps they haven't made the most out of that braking zone before the turn and then they arrive at the turn and then they just get pushed higher and higher up the turn because they they don't want to use another braking event, uh, you, you know how effective their braking has been in that zone. Whereas if they can just, you know, if their riding doesn't get too upset too much, they're still holding good lines, so they still look like they're, you know, confident in control. Then that helps the rider themselves discover, oh, yeah, I really felt like I needed to put the brakes on before that corner after the steep shoot or, or whatever it may be. And you know, if you're the number of times that you can break is limited, that when you do it, you're going to make it count. Because if you don't dump enough speed in this turn 
and you have to then break towards the exit. Not only does that make you lose a lot of speed, but in this challenge that you're talking about, that's one of your other break events that you suddenly have that you probably didn't need if you just braked harder. Yeah, yeah, and and that other thing that often comes up is like uh, with brake ace, it classifies them as checks that yeah. you're just checking that your brake levers still exist. And <laughs> yeah. they're very light, very short. Yeah, <laughs> they don't do anything. Um, it really, I've I've done this with a few riders, and they've been like, "Man, I just like tap my brake levers so often." <laughs> <laughs> Trying to tidy those sort of zones up is is quite good for for leading on to that more purposeful braking. Yeah, I think it's a good question to ask yourself too. Like for someone who's just you know heading out for a ride now, or they're you know they are riding now or something, just ask yourself when you are braking, like why am I braking? Like just ask yourself in your head why you're doing it. And mm. I, I did this the other day. I asked myself, why am I breaking? This actually, we did a podcast about it, but it became one of the lost episodes because we ended up rambling a lot and didn't publish it. But it was like, you know, I, I asked myself why I was breaking. And the next time I did a run and I just braked harder in those times. So if I'm going to break, I'm going to break really hard. And it ended up like the results ended up being really cool. So I would challenge anyone, just, just ask yourself why you're doing it anytime you tap those levers. And you'll learn a lot about yourself just with that. Yeah, all the things we're yeah. talking about today. Like if you've got the technology, great. But same as going and doing intervals. You can go and do some sprints without a power meter. You can go and think about why and where you're braking without the technology. You've just got to trust yeah. yourself. And so yeah, if you if you can say why, you also know why you don't need to. So why why am I not braking here? And you can start questioning, okay, is this a point where I want to break or not? Because that's what mountain biking is. It's just having to make those split-second decisions. What next? Which line? Where am I breaking? How am I turning? Where am I turning? Am I jumping? Am I squashing? And so if you don't know why, then you've just given yourself too many options. If you start to understand why you're breaking, then now you have less options. So while well, I'm breaking, because if I don't, I won't make it around this corner. I'm going to hit that tree. That's a pretty good reason to be breaking. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that was the the, the key message behind that session uh, when I finished. Uh, once we saw that the data was like just yeah, some awesome improvements made in that rider. It was like if if you're going to be breaking, like you're doing it for a good reason. Um, and in the second track on that lap like similar sorts of improvements the same theme like carried through um of of really getting that that front brake more into the mix in more effective zones um was was awesome to see how much change that brake ace could just validate because you get to the end of the session and it's like meant like here's the numbers layer on a bit of rider sensation and how that felt and and he said you know i felt like i was more stable uh between the braking zones because the bike was working better he could get his head and shoulders looking down the track um a lot sooner than what he could before because he was just dragging and trying to be you know trying to rein the bike in too much whereas if you just you know if you're comfortable to let the bike go like you can get those eyes down the track and you can be a lot more prepared for the next braking zone and your, your whole riding approach just becomes so much more deliberate. For someone listening. Well, I'll just say all these stats, you've said basically, okay, brake time went down, uh, like amount of rear braking went down. But it sounds like the focus was purely on braking more. <laughs> yeah, braking in better places. Yeah. Um, and because he was breaking better in better places or more effectively in more effective places, that allowed him the comfort and, and headspace to get off the brakes. And more awareness, like more awareness of what those fingertips are up to, because that's something that, you know, it's it's a complicated relationship between the brain and the fingertips. And if you're aware of what's going on and, and what's actually happening, then yeah, it's great. Yeah, the problem someone... with uh, Brake Ace is the name is the Headspace app was already taken, but really we're uh, measuring your Headspace. It's yeah, yeah for sure. Like it's it's a tiny little movement, like your fingertips squeezing a brake lever, with so many factors involved. Psychological, you know, fear often comes into it. Confidence, 
and then the the, the, the rest of your skill sets around the bike you know like there's a whole lot to it eh? if someone's out there riding right now and they're looking to kind of shorten up their braking zones and maybe that's their focus on this ride do you have like one top tip for them once they've identified the braking zone how they could make the most out of it um i often like to layer on some more body position techniques to get more out of that braking zone um so if you're trying to get that back wheel to to grip harder and brake harder like drop your feet through your pedals drop your heels and, and kind of imagine that you're trying to squeeze the bike back against the ground and same sort of thing with your upper body like bracing like if you're if it's a heavy deceleration event and you're really trying to scrub a lot of speed in a short space of time the rider's got to deal with those braking forces so bracing against the bars and and trying not to draw away from a centered position is going to keep good weight on that front wheel um, and create not too much of a pressure spike. So trying to just even out that pressure spike throughout that front wheel, tire is going to bite a little bit harder and, and you'll get even more out of that braking zone. So yeah, again, it's not just about braking less. I love nice. it. They'd stay centered which I think a lot of like, as you progress onto harder trails before you're ready, yeah, that's when you can really see someone's not as relaxed because they do start to shift from that centered position. And yeah, I think if you, if you can't remember when the last time you tried doing just like an emergency stop on a fire road was, then it hasn't been recently enough. Like yeah. regardless of yeah. how good of a rider you get, you can still go and try your emergency stops because they should yeah. just get better. And if you can do yeah, it in a really short amount of time without shifting back, then great. But if you find yourself shifting backwards or you're skidding or you just take a long time, there's something to improve. Yeah, I think that's something I work on with my riders is just focus on responding to the braking force rather than trying to preempt the braking force by getting back. So stay centered and respond with, with your muscles um, in that upper body and, and those feet driving through the pedals, dropping the heels, so that you stay more centered. And because if you take that on a steep trail, if your response to a heavy braking zone is to get back on the bike, then hey, presto, you've just like unweighted your front wheel. No. You've now got much <laughs> less steering control. Your yeah. front brake power is actually worse. Um, yeah, I, I think like today's session, I worked with a rider and it was as much about body position as it was about braking. Yeah, very cool. We just spent, what, an hour or so talking about braking and knowing why you're braking. And so generally, and there should be a reason why you're braking. And so if you're shifting your weight back as you're braking, then whatever that thing in front of you is that you've just hit the brakes for, you're now approaching that shifted back on the bike so well okay well done you've braked really hard but it now you're in a worse position to tackle the thing that you've hit the brakes for and so yeah if you yeah. can get used to staying centered that's why i love doing emergency stops on a fire road rather than just on a trail like great on a trail you can practice getting a braking zone between some routes before a corner making a straight section in a curved section of trail just by linking two corners in a straight line but if you go on a fire road, you can say, do your emergency stop and then immediately turn around. Because if you've braked really hard and shifted backwards, you won't be able to do a 180 degree turn on the fire road. You have to stay centered so that you can be in a perfect cornering position to do a really tight, sharp turn. Yeah, for sure. Um, confidently engaging that front wheel into a turn is, is huge. Um, and if you've compromised your ability to do that by compromising your body position, then yeah, you've just created another problem. So it's definitely good to be aware of the big picture. Um, the, the, in terms of how the bike responds to the braking as well, it's like if you can, if you were arriving at the corner and your bike is just like fully compressed, uh, you know, front and rear, but the rider's weight is then rearward. Like the stability of that chassis is just not going to 
not going to give you the best confidence to to get into that turn and and get the bike lent over um so yeah this yeah the big picture is always it's always there there's a lot going on in that big picture yeah man that's why mountain biking's so bloody hard man (laughs) yeah what a wild sport i have the, i have this random question and actually i have a break a session coming up here in about 20 minutes so maybe we should finish with this uh do you think like some of this you could do remotely like would you could you work we're, we're always thinking how can we do what power meters did for cycling in the mountain bike world do you think that you could look at someone's braking have an idea of the trail and you could give them things to work on no matter where they are in the world, like we do with power meters. And and that would be like over and above what they could figure out themselves. Yeah. Um good question. <laughs> I think data is great, but if you're working, if you're looking at that remotely, then you lose a lot of context to that data. So I think bringing in something like GoPro footage would Mm -hmm. be almost essential Mm -hmm. um, so that you could at least see what's going on and and validate what those numbers are saying. So I think so long as you had like a bit of insight and a bit of context as to what those numbers were coming up as, then yeah, I'm sure there would be some, at least some ideas or different approaches for that rider to to try and make changes that, that they otherwise might not have come up with by themselves. Um, being able to see the rider break is, for the reasons we just discussed, quite important. So if there was some footage like off the rider, maybe I don't know if they could self-film or get a buddy to film them whilst they were riding. Yeah, totally. I think you could add some value if you're doing it remotely. Let's say like if we could snap our fingers and there was uh, a software development wizard that was working for Breakus, and his name was Rowan. And when we snapped our fingers, <laughs> when Rowan snapped his fingers, suddenly in every key opportunity, there was a video kind of side on of the rider and how they <laughs> rode through that key opportunity. Unreal. Would that like take it to the next level kind of thing? Yeah, I'd say so. So you've got to connect like a drone up or something. Cameras <laughs> <laughs> on every corner of every mountain bike trail out there. So it's yeah. like the World Cup coverage, except like you kind of DIY it and it's it's in break ace kind of thing. Well, I have used those yeah. little reflective balls before that you wear a black suit and put them on all your joints and you get a 3D model of how your skeleton's moving. We'll just do that. Easy. <laughs> but yeah, it is that thing of it's amazing how like context is like, okay, what was the weather conditions? What were the trail conditions? Was it dry and dusty? How were you feeling? So did you like feel energetic that day? Did you feel confident? Was your bike feeling good Like in all the different ways? It's still missing that. Well, what were you actually doing? And so, yeah, this yeah. Uh, like a trail side camera gives you a lot more information than you even think Yeah, as a rider. Sure. Yeah, and like, you know, when you're working with people, you know, you have the opportunity to check their brakes, you know, <laughs> have they got brake pads left? Like are they biting nicely are they are they working uh, there's a few of those sort of equipment boxes <laughs> that you can tick when you're there um, yeah. i don't know if you've, been... you've made me want to have to just give a public service announcement because i see this way too often it's if you've got your hands on your grips with your wrists down so that you can push the bike forward you should be able to reach your brake levers because there's a lot of people who their levers are either too far out or too far down or a combination of the two that they can only reach the brake levers while their wrists are above the bars. And like that might be great when you're just doing a quick bike check in the car park, but when you're on a trail and you're trying to resist those forces, being able to actually get the biomechanics to line up that you can push the bike forward, potentially that's only while you're squeezing, but you just want to make sure that you can actually use your brake levers. Yeah, I'd say that's nice. pretty key. <laughs> <laughs> that and like get the biggest roses you can on your bike. <laughs> that's my that's my nugget, but that's quite a Queenstown specific one. 
I Matt, agree with that one. Matt, did you pay Rory to say that? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm wearing, oh, you guys can't even see it because I had some camera issues. I'm wearing my t-shirt that says Ride Bigger Rotors. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> waiting for the 240s. <laughs> well, oh, I was riding Queenstown up. with 180 rotors and oh. yeah, those ride, rotors and the brakes, <laughs> are, like the brake pads I was riding them with were toast. It was not fun. It was hard work. Yeah. Actually, no, it was fun. It just wasn't fun on every trail, especially when riding with a group of people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, to be honest, like, I, I don't really see too many downsides to running big rotors. I've got the setup I've got right now is like all power, no modulation. And I like it because it just lets me modulate more with my fingertips and saves my arms for the, for the track. <laughs> 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. Yeah, the 100%. idea of brakes feeling like they have good modulation. Like, well, it only matters when you need them. And that's yeah. more that you, they just need the power and your fingers can do a lot of the work. If they yeah. don't have the power and all you're doing is grabbing, then you, it doesn't matter how good the modulation feels on those brakes when you're just standing at the trailhead, you're going to lose that ability to control them because all you're doing is fighting for power. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely and this is how our podcasts go for three hours at a time <laughs> dude rory for your first podcast you did awesome um i'm gonna leave some links down below in the description so people can find you get in touch with you um so your explanations were sweet it was great to have you on it's awesome to see what you're doing and yeah let's go ride some bikes yeah looking forward to see what you do next Sweet. Cheers for the chat, fellas. Good to uh, good to get on here, and thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks, Rory. Yeah. Cheers.